Um, I heard a story about a, a pet store delivery truck driver. He's driving down the road, and every stoplight he gets out, and he bashes the, uh, the back end of the box truck with a two-before, the weirdest thing at the red lights. So then, you know, he does this and continues to do it, and the guy follows him along, and finally he's making a delivery, and he says, why are you doing this? And he said, well, I got a two-ton truck, and I got four tons of canaries in here, so I have to keep two ton off the floor at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I thought about that, I thought about back into my life, too. We, we do that in our life. We juggle four tons of things in a two-ton mind. We juggle that often, too often. And it leads to a lot of stress. It leads to, uh, you know, it's, it really is a picture of life, battling things, trying to keep everything in the air. You know, I've heard parents talking about the, this schedule. They got four kids in sports, and they got there, and, they, and they're trying to add a third thing, but they say, I just don't have any more time. And I think, wow, I don't know how you do what you're doing to add another event, you know. And so we do that. We get this stuck. This, this thing, this stuckness, this picture of life of always got to be busy isn't always the best thing for us. Um, and I'll share my personal experience with busyness later, but uh, that's a picture of life. We get stuck in grief when we lose, the, lose a loved one. We get stuck in anger. Uh, we get stuck in our work. We might get stuck in relationships, bad relationships. I know a guy who keeps moving from town to town and city to city, and, and he's just got a string of bad relationships. You know, and I finally told him, you can't outrun your heart. That's what he's running from. His heart moves with him to the next place and into the next relationship. Uh, we can't get out of it, and, and what we do is we get into a vicious cycle, and once we're stuck in that cycle, we start feeling guilty. We say, I wish I could get out of this, but I can't. And then I have a lot of guilt after that. You get guilty, you can't change it. Then comes another bout of anger, and you say, I should be able to change this. I've got to do this. I can do it. I ought to be able to get out of this, but you can't. And then you turn to more anger, and then it turns to fear. We get fear. We get wrapped up in fear that we're going to get out of this. And, you know, it, it, we let it become controlling of us. Um, then you think, wow, I'm going to end up in the hospital if I don't change this. I can change it. So then, then your fear eventually turns to depression, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself. We have another pity party. This is my friend who just moved to his new city. We have a pity party over there. And then eventually you resign and you say, I can't change and you start that cycle all over again. The anxiety, this comes back. It just, and that's what we call the circle of despair. Hey, Raymond, circle of despair. We should have that up. There we go. Thank you. <clears throat> How do you break out of that? That's a stuckness we get into. We just keep doing that vicious cycle. We feel guilty. We get angry. Then we turn into fear. And then we turn into depression. I could tell a story back when I did my first triathlon for my 40th birthday. That's how I celebrated 40 was I did a triathlon. I've never been a strong swimmer in all my life, but I went into it with no fear. And I'm almost done with that half-mile swim. And I heard these words of my father the night before. I'm really worried about you going swimming. You're not a swimmer, you know. And the moment I heard that in my head... I had almost completed that half mile. I was literally 30 yards from the shore, and I started to flounder. It was my mind that stopped me. I was stuck. 
So how we get out of that stuckness is what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. Week one, we started with admit it, I've got a problem. Um, that was the first step in my recovery several years ago, and, and, and that's the best way to do it. We finally have to admit it, something is wrong. Step two is the hope step. Pastor Todd talked about that last week. Not only am I powerless, but God has power, and he is willing to help out. He knows our problems, and he cares about us. He knows everything that's going on in our life, and he's offering to help us change as long as we take that hope step. Um, but that's not just enough to know that God will help us. We have to take some action too. It's just like, Peter, you've got to make a decision. You've got to get out. You've got to cross that line and believe in God, and then you've got to get out of the boat and take a little step. He'll be there for us. So that brings us to today with letting go. This is step three, and that's consciously choosing to commit my, all my life and will to Christ's care and control. This step is based upon what is said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I'll just read that quickly. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will rest and find your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Give me control and care of your life and watch what I do is what God says. Life will get so much less stressful. I can't say it'll get easier, <laughs> but it does become easier when you lift that burden off your shoulders that you don't have to carry those weights. <laughs> what a deal. Why would anybody turn that down, huh? Um, yet, so many times, we reject it, just like my friend who keeps moving and trying to outrun his heart. We sometimes have an unopened gift. How many kids could stand at Christmas time with an unopened gift that is given to us so graciously, yet we continue to battle and not accept it? We can come in here and not accept it. We can do it for years. I did. I was a believer way back when, but I kind of let go of God's hand. And he says, I want to give you this gift of release and recovery and relief. And what keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from accepting it? That's part of the third step. There's three, three main things here, but pride. What keeps me from accepting that gift is pride. Uh, Proverbs 18.12 tells us, Arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they don't want to admit when they need help. How many uh, fathers in here, or how many in here men especially, won't stop and ask for directions? <laughs> we see that. I've seen that. We would rather get lost than ask for directions. I got this. It's okay. I'm not lost. I know right where I am. I'm just not where we're supposed to be. I can remember my dad saying that, and I carried that right on with me too. Pride is, is that, and, then, and I love how Proverbs tells us this. The, the arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit they need help. And then that leads us, leads us to Proverbs 10.8. The self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face, and that's right. When we set out to head to Indiana and somehow we end up in San Bernardino, I should have probably asked for directions. <laughs> 
I had a friend in college that was going to be my roommate. And, and we, uh, we were going to Indiana State University, and I lived in Kokomo, so I was midway between Indiana State University and Chicago. I decided at the last minute I wasn't going to go to ISU, and so he goes for campus visitation. Now, he calls me three hours later and says, I don't know how to get there. You were supposed to come with me. I'm lost. And I said, well, where are you? Give me some road signs, Ed. I've been down that way. I know how to get there. And he says, well, I'm in Merrillville, Indiana. Well, okay, so from where I'm at in central Indiana, Merrillville is three hours north. It's 20 minutes from Chicago. ISU is down by Evansville at the other end of the state. So Ed was five and a half hours from where he was supposed to be. And I said, you might as well come home because... You're not going to make it to the one o'clock appointment. He should have stopped and asked for directions somewhere before the three-hour mark. <laughs> he did not know he was headed north and got on the, uh, instead of the southbound lane. So we, ourselves, without some direction, can really get lost. Our compass can get turned. Uh, maybe you're not ready to take this step. Maybe you're not ready to say, I give control and care of my life to Christ. I'm not ready to do that just yet. So maybe all we need is a greater dose of pain. And God will willingly allow you to sit in that pain until you make that decision to give it to him. I know this because I've been one who's done that. Until the pain gets a little greater. And then we finally make that decision to change. Guilt. Guilt will also keep you from taking this step. Maybe we were shameful or ashamed to ask God for help. It's just like asking for directions. We can't put our pride aside to say, I need to admit I'm lost. I need a little help here. That pride, then we feel guilty because we weren't all somebody thought we were. <laughs> we hold that as a guilty conscience then. Uh, ask yourself, what, what would that, that guilt step be? What, what is one guilt that might be holding you back from something like that? We see that Scripture tells us, Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. That's Psalm 4013, and that Psalm 4013 just means a lot to me as well. It's, it's a very comforting piece sometimes when I get to the end of me again. It happens a lot sometimes. Fear, doubt, things we go. Spiritual warfare comes in. Everything you do. But that's that moment when you pray that prayer, that's the end of me. You finally had enough that pain of staying the same is becomes less than the pain pain of change and moving forward has anyone ever felt that way i i know i have there's many years ago i got told by the doctor if you don't change the way you live you're going to die young man and and sadly you know uh, i was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes but i was able to control with diet exercise and moving I had four of my good friends who were diagnosed with the same thing, and they said, I don't want to move, I don't want to walk, I don't want to eat a little better, I don't want to do these things, but they make a pill for me, and I can do this. Well, here we are, 13 years later, well, 15 years later, I'm the only one of the five who survived. They took the easy path, a prescription and a pill, and they didn't make it. They didn't make it, most of them didn't make it more than seven years. One made it seven weeks. So I think sometimes we have to give up. We can't do it ourselves. Maybe they're embarrassed. Uh, God, has anybody ever said this? God, if you just get me out of this situation, 
I came across an old Burt Reynolds movie this week, and this was by Divine Ordination as well, and they have it on YouTube, and one of these days we'll share it in when we have a class or something, but he says this very thing, God, if you just get me out of this, he was on a boat wreck, ship sinks, he's the only one around, he cannot see the shore, but he knows how he's got to get the direction to go to get back there, and he says, God, I will give you everything. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better man. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm not going to cheat in business. And I'm going to give you 90% tithe. I am. I know I've never given anything and I owe you a lot. And God, if only one thing you grant me today, make me a better swimmer. And he starts swimming. And then he gets a little closer. And now he's, he's 120 yards off the shore. Well, God, you know, I'm really going to try hard on that husband and father thing, and uh, you know, my kids understand I work hard for them, and I, now that I'm almost here, I, I'm going to give you 50%, and then it gets to 40%, and then as he's walking on the shore, he goes, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to give you 10%, I got to start somewhere, and don't be hard on me, and if you don't want that, then my money is not good enough for you, you can, I'll just keep it, so we, he obviously forgot. The closer he got to shore, the closer he got to having his promise answered, the better swimmer he was made. He forgot what God did for him in that time. And we can become just like that. Maybe we're embarrassed to ask God. Um, you know, you, say, you think, oh, God, you don't know all the things I've done. I couldn't go and ask you for help now. You're wrong. You're just wrong, dead wrong. God knows everything. You're not hiding it from him. He knows. He just wants you to admit it. Comes back to step one. Admit it. Don't let pride or guilt from taking, letting you take this step. He wants to forgive your guilt where you are today. And that's the beauty of the song, Come As You Are. That's the beauty of our tagline here, Come As You Are. As I said earlier, God will, if you want more pain, God will allow you to sit in that pain a little longer till you learn. And you say, I'm at the end of me. I need more. Step three, fear. I'm afraid of what I might have to give up. I'm afraid of giving up control. I control my life. I don't want to be me. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. You know, one of my favorite stories is a guy falls off a cliff and midway down, it's just like the cartoon, he grabs the, the branch and he hangs on and he says, oh, I'm okay here now. Is there somebody up there? God, God, will you please help me? God says, and then he hears this voice. He looks down 500 feet, looks up 500 feet, hears this voice and it says, this is God, this is the Lord. Let go and I will catch you. Guy looks back down, looks back up. Hey, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you know, because he, he wants to believe, but he's letting that fear of letting go do that. Is there anybody else up there? Then he starts to think, hey, maybe this isn't so bad sitting right here. I'm going to go ahead. I might just start a business here, probably build a house, maybe just launch a family right here. It's okay. I can just sit in this mess. It's going to be a little hard, it's painful, but I'll do it. That's one of those things that can happen. You know, this isn't that bad. No, I'm fine. How many times have we heard that? No, I'm fine. I was guilty of that. I said that a lot. And there are days I do need help, and thank God for Karen back there because 
I will say something like, no, I'm fine. And then I'll have to turn around two seconds later and go, no, I'm really not. Here's what's on my mind, you know? And then I have to give that to God too because I can't do it on my own. So ask yourself this, what are you afraid of if you commit your life to Christ? Um, if you think what you're afraid of is to give up that control, or I think back to years ago, I thought maybe if I gave my control to God, he was going to turn me into a priest. You know, there you go, I'm going to be a monk, I have to go be quiet and silent all the time, I have to, no, it's not like that. You're not going to become a religious fanatic or a creepy Christian, as some call them. If you weren't creepy before you gave your life to Christ, you're not going to be creepy afterwards. You're going to be more loving. You're going to have a little ease, and you're going to have a little lighter yoke. Your burden is less. You might say, I don't want anybody controlling me. And we come back to that a lot of times. But you're being controlled every day. You just don't know it. We watch TV, we watch YouTube, marketing videos. They tell you, believe me, we work in marketing. We know <laughs> you're somewhat being controlled every day. But I know another thing from part of my life, I was being controlled by habits, hang-ups, and hurts. Maybe even the way our parents brought us up. Maybe they raised us in a way we're still angry about You just, when you give your life to God, you choose who controls things. And when you let God control your life, you'll find that yoke is easier. Do you know what freedom is? Freedom is choosing who controls you. As I just said a while ago, we, uh, Jesus tells us, Give your life in care and control of Christ. He sets you free. He actually said, "These who sin, those who sin, are slaves to sin. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free." Jesus says, "I set you free." Bob Dylan, the famous folk singer, said, "You gotta have. You gotta. You're going to have to serve somebody, and sometimes it might be your own ego." I'm well aware of that one too in my past life as a speaker and teacher. I will say this, real freedom is choosing who your master will be. So you have to ask yourself, what are you afraid of? What are you holding on to that you think you can't let go of this and give your life to God? One of the first pastors that really started pouring into me and changing my life said, hey, just give God a little room in your heart. You don't have to give him everything right now. Just give him a little room to let him work and see what he'll do. And praise God, he did a lot of work. I kept giving him a little more room, too, you know. And I've seen some stories and testimonials this week talking with some folks from Celebrate Recovery. Amazing testimonials. They gave God room. They let go of what was controlling them. How does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Anything. A pen, an iPad, a new computer, new car, piece of property. No. When you take this third step and you give up everything, you'll probably never have it so good because he takes what you've given him, he turns it around, and he adds new meaning, adds new significance, new vitality, and gives it back to you in a whole new way. 
I can honestly say 10 years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago when I met Karen, I would not have said today I would have been in seminary. I would not have said today that I would be able to be presenting a message to you to tell you about where I failed, what I had to do, and what I had to let go of. I never would have thought I'd have been here because I was too caught up in doing it my way, myself. I loved admiration, and we'll talk more about that. If you've ever been afraid to open your life to the care and control of Christ, that he might, take, might make you some fanatic or some nut, something I might have to give up, you know, let that go. You've got to let that go. We're not going to become fanatics. We can be controlled by those hurts. We are controlled by hang-ups, those habits. I was hung up on bad business partners. I would not have met Karen. I was fighting with business partners that had scammed me, and I was bitter. I was angry. I was going to leave my profession. I wasn't even going to speak at that event where I met her. And I had a mentality that if I crossed the paths of those guys, <laughs> you know, it was like that cartoon, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I was angry about it, and I was bitter at everyone. A lot of people paid in relationships because of my bitterness and my hang-ups and my hurts. And I, I, I give that to God. I gave that back and apologized to many people. And I've repented and I've asked for his forgiveness for that. And I'm good knowing that I let that go. When I did run into one of those business partners, I think he was concerned I'd carry out the uh, things I had probably said to him. And all I could do was go up and say, hi, how are you today? Meet my wife and son. That's what I could say. And I give God that credit. Don't worry about the specifics of giving up your life or the things you might have to give up. Don't worry about that. Focus, if you focus on the specifics, you'll never make a greater decision. As I said, when I got that diagnosis from the doctor, if you don't change the way you live, you're going to die. At first, I was angry. I was bitter. That whole vicious cycle came up. And uh, I was just going to let things go. And then I said, no, it's worth living. You will make a great, you'll never make a greater decision than that. God, if you don't know what step you want to give up, what God's given you up, you can ask this right now. God, I don't even know what I want to give up. But I do know I want my life to be under your control. So God, here's a blank check. Are you willing to write him a blank check and just give it to him? Because that's crucial. And give him that and don't worry about anything in the future. Because you give him that blank check. And that leads us to worry, the fourth step. How many worry about things? You don't worry? You don't worry? Yeah. I do. I've worried about today for a long time. <laughs> and, and I'm glad I'm here. Worry keeps you from surrendering your life to the care and control of Christ. Can you think of one worry? Uh, what is that worry that keeps you from total surrender? Just think about these things that you can put in the back of your mind. There's these little worries that we always have. And sometimes we put them off and um, they build up. <coughs> Excuse me. Back in 1963, when JFK announced they were going to put a man on the moon... Do you think he had all the problems figured out at that time? There was no solution. But he knew, and this is what a good manager will do. They know that if you're a good manager, you know that you never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. 
If you confuse them, you'll never make a decision. You, you have to make the decision and then solve the problems. Kennedy said, we're going to the moon, and then it was NASA's problem to figure it out, how to get there. <laughs> it's mathematicians just like Adrian. <laughs> Programmers just like Jessica. It's your problem. I, I'm going to make this decision, but here's the vision. We have to have someone who carries out that vision, and then we have those workers that are smarter than the vision casters who then can put the pieces together. Because if we waited for every green light, say we decide we're going to go to Clear Lake right after we get out of here, and we wait for every green light in town to, to go green, we'll never make it to Clear Lake by the end of, well, eternity. We'll never make it. Because there's, there's a lot of stoplights in Cedar Falls. <laughs> when I met Karen, we carried on a long-distance relationship from Indiana to Iowa, and that was difficult. Relationships in their own right are hard, but long-distance ones, I'm sure, Jenny, you can well relate and welcome, they are even harder. Uh, then there was that day, I get a text message, Lewis, get on Skype. Now, my real name, Lewis, is hardly ever exposed. I can just see people going, I didn't know he was a Lewis. <laughs> but that's when I'm in trouble. And I thought, sure, that that Lewis, get on Skype now, was the breakup call. At least it was going to be face-to-face, -face, uh, somewhat, you know, from miles away. But I thought, man, here it goes. I was worried. I was more worried about the call than it was the substance of the call because my head started thinking my way. Don't just do it and get the answer and see what's going on. But that was when she let me know we were going to have a child. What are we going to do? Now I was left, and my first decision was I'm going to come here and be a father, husband, and dad. That's what I'm going to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it at the time, but I had made the decision I was coming as soon as possible. So that meant figuring out how to close out clients in Indiana, how to get rid of stuff I had, and those things that I was mired in deeply. So that was the decision-making, and then the processes that followed. You make the decision, and then you solve the problems. Just like giving your life to Christ. You make the decision, and then you open your life to the care and control of Christ. If you have doubts, questions, fears, worries, you don't really know how it's all going to work out, but he gives us promises. But I know it's the right thing to do, so I just did it years ago. God, take control. Here it is. It's yours. This is a quote I pulled out. I don't understand it all, but if you're really real, come into my life. If you can give me a better life than I'm living right now, then do it. That's all you got to say. He'll guide you the rest of the way. I opened my life to the care of Christ, and even today, I can look at friends who say, let's go do this or go do that, and they know, I, I can say, no, I don't do that anymore. That's not me. This is the change in my life. I don't need a guy's night out. I don't need these things. I love my guy's night with my family. That's where it's at. Our discipleship starts at home. They see that. And so don't let worry bother you and keep you from making this decision. Five of my great uncles served in World War II. Three were in the Marine Corps and two were on the island of Iwo Jima, the famous flag raising photo you see. One was shot in the back of the neck there and paralyzed in the hands. Um, 
the Marines, he would talk about the Marine strategy, and it was always cool to talk to Uncle Owen. And we would share about beachheads and the beachhead strategy. Um, when they used this method, the, the Marines had a definite strategy, and this is kind of God's plan. He has a strategy. They used this when they went to retake the Pacific from the Japanese. They used the same strategy on every island, and it worked every time. They would go into the island that had been taken captive, and they would start bombing it. They would berate it with, uh, pelt it with bombs and grenades and all kinds of explosives. And that was called the softening up period. Right before that, during that softening up period, things would get easier for them to establish that beachhead. And some of you right now are in that softening up period with Christ. He's ready to launch a beachhead in you and within you. Because in our minds, all kinds of explosions are going off in life that send fragments everywhere. You're saying this isn't working, and then you come to a point, yes, I need something beyond myself. That's what's softening up your pride. That's softening up your guilt. It's softening up your heart. It comes back to when give, give God a little room. Let's soften up that heart. I need God in my life. There's too much stress. The second phase, the Marines would come in and establish the beachhead I just spoke of. Uh, it might only be 20 yards deep by 200 yards wide. It would involve some battles. They'd move forward 100 yards. They'd move back 50 yards. They'd move forward 200 and then come back. Those battles are just like we fight every day. We've had spiritual warfare this week on many levels with many friends at many churches. And, and I always say that that tends to go with messages that are hitting and resonating because that makes the devil mad. And the more we get stirred up, those explosions start to go. They hadn't necessarily completely liberated an island with this beachhead, but they had a start. Everybody knew that once they were established, the beachhead... The total liberation of that island was inevitable. Their strategy worked so well that they never lost an island after they established a defined strategy in World War II to land on the islands. It was just a matter of time that entire island would become set free. And it's just like the beachhead within you. You're working towards Christ. You are working toward being set free. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over over the day, for a week, two weeks, it happens all your life. When you take this step, God's getting that beachhead. The Bible calls it conversion. We call it being born again. It just means God's presence in life, in my life, in your life. Does that mean everything is going to be perfect? No. Absolutely not. But it does mean that God is in your life and he's got that beachhead in you and within you for the rest of your life. He's going to be setting you free day by day. Little by little, it's a process. So don't worry about it. Just trust God, trust the process. Maybe you worry in the battle that you won't hold on or hold out. God says, don't worry. It's not your job to keep that worry. He says, I do the keeping. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. He says, I care for you. I hold you in my hands. As I saw Heston run down, I'm reminded 
as those little kids, he's little, even today he still does this, but as I hold his hand across the street or through a parking lot, I hold his hand because I'm a loving father. And he broke the news to me yesterday, well, I'm bigger now, I can do it by myself. <laughs> and, you know, that, that hits you. But I'll never let go of that hand. And God won't either. He won't either. Timothy, he says, he can keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God says, I do the holding on so you don't have to worry about it. Whatever God asks me to do, he'll enable me to do it. Yeah. Never forget this. Philippians 1.6. God who began a good work in you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task is finally completed. He's begun a good work in you. He'll not let that go. He'll not drop that. That's his promise. And fifth, we have doubt. Doubt, that's a struggle. Does anybody doubt themselves, doubt their abilities, doubt their, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. You know, you think um, three years, as I'm, I'm coming down to five weeks left in seminary or four weeks left, you think, man, I should have had this doubt monster killed by now. <laughs> and now he can rear his ugly head. He can rear it. You need to know the story of a guy named Jairus in the Bible, okay? So Jairus, he comes to Jesus, he says, I know you can heal people, my daughter is sick. And Jairus, or Jesus said, if you have faith, then she will be healed. Jairus says, is really honest here, he says, Lord, I, I've got a lot of doubts. But at least he was honest about it, he was honest about it. He's asking for a favor, but he's saying, I got, I got doubts. And Jesus said, that's good enough. Despite having a doubt, that was good enough. And, and maybe you need to be like Jairus. God, I, wanna, I want to believe that you will help me with my life, help me with my unbelief. That's good enough. You don't have to have a big faith. You just don't have to have giant faith. Look at what the Bible says. And if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of what you put it in. The size of your God. Maybe sometimes we put the size of our faith in our bank account. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm not going to get married till I have enough money? Well, believe me, there's never enough money. I won't do it until I have a house of this size. There's never going to be the right size house. There's always something. If you have a huge house, your kitchen's too small. If you have a huge house, maybe the garage is too small. It doesn't have a pond. It doesn't have a swimming pool. It's not right. It's always something. So you don't have to have a giant faith. Or if you have giant faith and put it in the wrong thing, you'll get no results. No results. Um, oh, thank you, Phil. Sometimes tears, I get a little emotional, especially when we start talking about the hearts of kids. A little faith in a big God gets big results. A little faith in a big God gets big results. 
Don't let any of these things keep you from taking the step. I was addicted to hurry. Hurry and idols can easily consume our lives. I see it every day. From children forming addiction to YouTube video stars, they want to have cars like this guy. They want to have you know, houses like mansions like that guy. And the reality of that is they may never get there. And, but, and then they compare themselves. Comparison is the worst thing we can do to those things. And social media can play such a huge factor in that. And I fell into that trap. Um, in material possessions, social media, each one possesses a destructive value of its own and that enough is never enough. It's just what I said about the house. You get a big house, the kitchen's too small. It doesn't have enough bathrooms. It doesn't have enough lighting. Something is never right about that. Uh, life gets noisy when we get busy. We find ourselves in a hurry to get the next new possession, and then that's going to bring about happiness. And we know that doesn't bring about the happiness. It just doesn't. Because as soon as you get it, you're looking at the next upgrade on it. You get a new phone, and next week the phone company comes out with a brand new phone, just like the one you got that was just brand new. And that phone's not going to make you happy. Karen can attest to my phones never making me happy. I can't ever work from them. They die too quickly and whatnot. But I might be too hard on them. But life gets noisy when things become our idols. Idols in whatever shape or form grab our attention. And if we're not careful, they grab our ultimate loyalty. I mean, I've seen a guy, when I owned my motorcycle, I would go out and ride every Saturday. I could be leaving in the morning, and my neighbor would be shining his motorcycle. And when I'd come home 12 hours later, he'd still be shining something on that motorcycle. It was like his prized possession. He couldn't get, it couldn't get dirty. But they weren't made for that. They were made to ride and enjoy. That's where I had my most fun. The, the old joke is you never see a motorcycle outside a therapist's office. There was something about the wind and that therapy, you know. You got away. It was quiet time. Sometimes I just love quiet time. That's my God time. And we need that. We're going to talk about silence. When we focus our attention on those false idols, then life becomes dangerous. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 6, 21. Personally, I chased awards, glory, and admiration using the mask of busyness to hide the inner personal pain. Underneath, I was dying inside. But I would have people say, I would do a convention and speak in front of 500 people, and I'd have someone say, I want to be just like you, and I could only think, no, you don't. No, you, you don't. My treasure was placed in those awards. Those were, they were placed in the outward appearance of being a driven professional to not disappoint my fans, friends, or family. I wanted to be that epitome of success, and I could show that on social media like it was nobody's business. That was what I was guilty of. I never saw the danger in this behavior, and most don't see any danger in this behavior. The best idols remain cloaked in garments of innocent acceptableness. 
I could not own my own sin, for I could not see it, nor did I want to see it. And that's where we sin repeatedly, but we don't see it. We can't say someone's sin over here is this, because we, we're trying to mask something that's equally as sinful. We're just masking it, because we don't see it. If we don't see it, it doesn't exist, so it's not me. You know, I didn't do that. One mine, one my fault. <laughs> I say Facebook is a major contributor to happiness through business, seeing likes, shares, and commentary to hide the inner turmoil and pain. That's how I used it at one time. It creates a distraction from life when posts such as, I really do not have time to be here. I guess I'll sleep when I'm dead. These are some things I've pulled out of posts I see. Uh, I have no idea how I'll ever catch up with all I have to do. Well, one way is probably not posting that status. You could be spending that time somewhere else, a little more adequate. Um, and then when I think about that, as you start to get on there and waste time, I'm dishonoring God because now I'm just scrolling through stuff. So as my happiness, as my inner happiness rose, my social media presence decreased. And so I love that because once I was known as the social media king and all these things, and, and then when I met Karen, people were messaging me going, is everything okay? We haven't seen any posts from you in like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm happy at home. I don't need to put something out here. I'll put stuff out now because friends and family want to see the little one, and that's about all I talk about. Hurry is a desensitizer that snuffs out moments of intimacy with life to the point that we get used to living day after day with little deep feeling or passion. And that's it. We get burnout. We have no passion for what we do. And we kind of hide that under these things. I truly had become numb to my own life, trying not to disappoint others. I lost moments with loved ones, family, and God. I hadn't really brought God back into my life at that time when I was speaking, long before I became a father and a husband. We were talking about, I can't use these words, these are Karen's words, but we were talking about quiet and uh, this type of uh, you know, behavior, this type of busyness. It's harder to be quiet and still through solace than to be busy. It's easy to be busy, but to sit and be still and be quiet is the hardest thing we can do. And I, I, I put this to the test in a small group one time. And so we practiced an exercise. Each week we had moments of silence. They would be 30, minute, 30 seconds, minute, two minutes, three minutes. We built up each week to take solace time in silence. When we did that, the fidgeting, I love this. When we did the three-minute version, here's the breakdown of how it began. The mental challenge started at 30 seconds. People began to fidget, deep sighs at one minute, heavy tension came at two minutes, you could feel it in their breathing. <laughs> and as we got over the two minute, two and a half minute, 245, there was huffs of disgust is what I would call them. It was deep breathing. <sighs> this is uncomfortable. And the most common comment was, that was, re you know, when I said three minutes, time's up, the first words out of one of the guys' mouth, that was uncomfortable. This is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done. And I thought, I'm thinking a root canal. You know, it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done, but not set for three minutes. 
Silence, busy, 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 got to be faster, got to be faster, has become the thing that has hidden a lot of, a lot of what we do and driven a lot of pain. Um, so comfort is found in speed. Slowing down removes the comfort zone and challenging the mind for real transformation. So I suggest anything you can do to give yourself 30 seconds and start and try to push that out each day by 10 or 12 seconds. And then after about 21 days, it becomes pretty easy. I learned this from a, um, a professor who, who taught us, again, how to get out of doing prayers for some of the opening courseworks at school. He said, I did a 42-minute prayer. Nobody ever asked me to pray again. Because <laughs> he goes, we had an hour meeting, so that left him 18 minutes. <laughs> so there's some, some things in that. But he, his prayers, when they're long like that, do push your comfort zone. And I loved learning from him because that was where you took a piece and spend a minute in that line. You spend a minute in that phrase. It was the most transformational thing in my life and it still is today. It's one thing that I, I, I kind of somewhat neglect from time to time, but I, I highly recommend it. Through hurry, those monumental moments are missed with time, family, and friends and God-ordained moments. How many times have we been in too big of a hurry that we have skipped an opportunity to witness to someone because we think we got to be somewhere next? It took me slowing down and realizing I was on his time, not my time, that I could become more intentional in my relationships. And that started with Heston. He taught me a lot about this at the YMCA. As you, anyone knows with a three-year-old at, at that time, they are on their own time schedule. They own their time schedule, and I would think we had to get out of, and get somewhere in a hurry. And literally, what did I have to do? Get home and make him lunch. <laughs> but, uh, which that's important too, because we all know the hangry things that can happen. But there were times when he would say, we've got to talk to these folks sitting in the coffee corner, as I called it. And, and, and they would tell me the next day, I'm so glad you brought him over and let him sit down with me because I missed my grandkids They're in. Wyoming, or they're hours away. I don't get to see them and love on kids like I used to. And so that really helped. This is the, the things that slowing down can bring us. When we look at that path, someone's been put in our path, is our next, do we have a critical appointment or do we just trying to get somewhere to satisfy our own self because we're in a hurry? It's kind of like the guy that passes you and then gets right at the stoplight in front of you and then turns the next thing because he was in that big of a hurry that he couldn't be seven seconds behind you. Moving forward, I had to let go of my addiction to hurry. And, and I know that his timing placed me exactly where he wants me through experience. Realizing I never fo will fully arrive, I will, however, work diligently to work in honor of his glory. Some of you will say, I've tried this before, it didn't work. I've tried living my life to God, uh, it didn't work. My evaluation is that you probably didn't fully understand what was involved. I know I didn't the first time I gave my life to God. I just kind of walked it and I didn't say things I thought I could do on my own. You were involved, but you just weren't committed. It's kind of like the kamikaze who went on 33 missions. He was involved, but he wasn't committed to the project. <laughs> you know, so how do I take this step? First, accept God as my Savior. I need to be saved. I need help. Two, God, accept God's word, my standard for living. From now on, 
I have a manual, and it's right here. It's kind of like the emergency broadcast system, you know? This, is a, this, this life is a test. It's only a test. Had it been an actual life, it would have had an instruction manual to tell you how to do it and where to go. We, we do have that, and, and it's right here. We can learn. I accept God's will as my strategy. I accept God's power as my strength. Step three means to open the door that unlocks the door to willingness and willpower. Willpower is a willingness to accept God's power. You don't need willpower. You need a willingness to accept God's power in your life and go by his control. One last story. When pilots fly planes, they fly either by IFR or VFR. IFR is instrument flight rules, where instruments set the, set the tone for everything. The pilot uh, basically sets his instruments, he taxis out to the runway, he goes over to the control tower, submits to their controls of the system, sets the instruments up, it's a done deal, you're controlled the whole way through by instruments, very safe way of flying. Visual flight rules, or VFR, is you just kind of taxi out on the runway, you look around, don't see anybody, ah, well, looks like a good time to go, weather's good, we're going to hit it, and, and away we go. You use your sight. VFR is fine as long as you're not going to have any bad weather. Clear weather flying is great for, for VFR. But one day, just like life, you're going to hit some storms. You're going to hit some bad weather, and you're going to get lost in some clouds. And, you know, it comes back to pride. Most pilots don't want to say they want to give up control. I can do it myself. And, and it's most likely when you're flying VFR and you get in those clouds, you're going to fly right into a tree. And I know in our life, sometimes we fly into a tree or we fly into a mountain and it's a big storm. Have you ever felt like you've flown into a mountain <laughs> or hit a tree in the middle of the week? You've made it pretty well flying VFR so far in your life, but it's inevitable that there's going to be a life or part of life that comes into that bad weather. You're going to hit the tough spots. At that point, you've got to pick up the microphone and switch to God's system and say, I surrender care and control of Christ, or it's an invitation to disaster. Are you ready to surrender that control? If you believe in Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for you and proved he was God by coming back to life, do you accept God's free forgiveness for your sins? Do you want to switch to God's plan for your life? Are you ready to express your desire for Jesus to be the director of your life? If you said yes to any of these questions, you are definitely ready. If you're ready to take this step today, and I just ask everyone to pray with me. God, you make messy things beautiful. I am a sinner. I need you to take control, take the wheel from me. I believe you sent your son to die for my sins so I can be forgiven. I am ready to let go of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that prevent me from being all you created me for. I give my life to you. Please put your spirit in my life to direct me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Congratulations. If you took that step, welcome to God's family.